This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Ladies and gentlemen, I think the church is in good hands for the future. And uh, thank God, thank you, team. That was excellent. I, I'm debating whether or not to do this, and uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and do it and then maybe apologize later on. It's easier to get forgiveness than permission. But I want to just congratulate. Uh, Jim was talking about how uh, Chad and Chelsea, they're having a baby today, and uh, just to see what a big weekend this is for, for the, uh, the, the parents, the grandparents, because you have Kelly and Aubrey that were engaged, got engaged. Uh, where, where are you guys? Uh, uh, back there, congratulations. So can you imagine the emotions that Mama and Daddy and Mitzi, can you imagine what Mitzi is going through right now? Have another grandbaby, and then her, then her baby just got uh, engaged. So congratulations, guys. <laughs> Did you know? In fact, let me just go through a series of did you know questions. Did you know that your incurable disease or your really hard to get along with neighbor or your deep depression or your very cranky coworker could be part of God's plan for your life? Did you know that God's plan is not always for you to be perfectly healthy and over-the-top wealthy? Did you know that being in the center of God's will doesn't always mean that God will say yes to every prayer of yours? Now, those questions will lead us into the second message of our series that we've entitled Surviving Survival Mode. And the series revolves around a perplexing question, what to do when there's nothing you can do? In other words, what do you do when you find yourself in a set of circumstances and there's no way out, there's no way forward, there's no way backwards, God isn't answering your prayer, it could be in your marriage, you feel stuck in a relationship where you're married, living in the same house, but that's it, there's no spark, no joy, just existence. It could be with your kids. Maybe they've made some bad decisions and, and as painful as you watch them self-destruct and you can't do a thing about it. Maybe uh, it, it's a chronic pain that you deal with daily or, or depression that causes you to just want to stay in bed all day long. What do you do when you find yourself in those situations? Well, our, our, our default response, our natural response is to get angry. You know, we get mad at God, or some of us get angry at, at others. We get angry at ourselves. Another response is to run. You know, if you're in a difficult marriage, the temptation is to what? Cut and run, start another family. Or if you're at odds with someone else, what's the temptation? Avoid them. Cut ties with them. If you struggle with depression, the temptation is just isolate. I mean, stay away from church. Stay away from gatherings where you might have to talk to somebody. If you're in a chronic health situation, the, the, the temptation is to become a cranky person that nobody else wants to be around. You know, another response is to just drink ourselves into oblivion or 
take on another addiction to ease the pain. So what to do when there's nothing you can do? And even though there are no easy answers to that question last week, we kept talking about the fact that when we, when we get on those situations, God knows, God cares, God hears. Remember, I kept repeating that. God knows, God cares, God hears. God's perceived silence is never an indicator of his absence. He knows, he cares, he hears. Now, as we jump into our lesson today, I, I want to change things up. You know, typically in a series, we will kind of ease into our topic and, and we'll gradually kind of swim to the deep end of the pool. Today, we're not going to do that. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the deep end of the pool and jump in. So take a deep breath. Hold it. And as we jump, we want to talk about a very profound truth. And, and I'll just just kind of be transparent with you. That They tell us we're supposed to speak from our strengths. Today I'm going to speak from my weakness. Because I, I feel the topic is beyond my pay grade. It's beyond my IQ. And essentially what we're talking about is this. And, and through the years we've all run into a few remarkable people who faced extraordinary adversity. And maybe with their families, maybe with their finances or their jobs, their health. But they finally came to the place where they realized that instead of blaming the devil or instead of blaming people or instead of saying, well, you know, if I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. They came to the realization that they needed to receive that health issue or that trial or that adversity. Listen, as if it were coming from the hands of their loving heavenly father. There was a pastor of a large church, and if I mentioned his name, some of you would know him, know of him. But during the season of his ministry in this church that he'd been pastoring for years and years, and he was a beloved pastor. I mean, he was loved. And he began to have a pretty high level of opposition from some of the members. And these people were upset over something, and I don't know what it was, and I'm not even sure he knew. But everywhere he turned, people were talking behind his back, and they wanted to dump him. They wanted another senior pastor. And, and of course, it's generally during those times when the, the pastors typically leave the church because that's the easiest thing to do when there's a little bit of opposition, just run. Even though I was trained in college that the best time to leave a church is, is not during a church problem. Rather, it's when the church is prospering. But, but most of us, you know, when we encounter some type of opposition in a church, we say, well, I guess it's time for me to move on and, and God is moving me elsewhere. But, but this pastor prayed, and he prayed, and he was willing to leave, he was willing to stay, but after spending time with God, this pastor felt that God wasn't finished with him at the church yet. And, and, and during his prayer time, it was as if God said this to him, it was so clear, it was as if God said, I want you to stay, but you're not going to get through this crisis until you quit looking at the opposition that's against you. And you begin looking at me, and you begin to see this trial as coming from me, not from them. You know, the pastor in telling about it said, you know, I had to quit viewing these people as my enemy. I had to see this situation in the church as something that God had allowed and, and was coming ultimately through the hands and, listen, through the permission of my Heavenly Father. And once the pastor had a change in perspective and began to look at what God was trying to teach him 
the troubled waters began to calm. And this was years and years ago. He's still at the same church with a united ministry, a thriving ministry. Now, I'm not saying that that's the way it should always happen. There are times, you know, a pastor is the problem. He should leave. And there are times that people are the problem and they should leave. But in this particular situation, God was directing the situation. And, and it was not just the devil stirring up trouble. This was God allowing it through his permissive will, through his hands. So we're going to talk about this as we dig into the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to study the Apostle Paul, the writer of uh, half the New Testament, a man that was as faithful and committed to Jesus as anyone. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. I'd encourage you to follow along. To keep me from becoming conceited. Now, let's make our first of many stops and ask you, what do you get out of this? To keep me from becoming conceited. Well, it appears that even the great apostle Paul struggled with pride, which you do too. And I do too. You say, well, you know, I, I, I'm humble and I don't, I don't struggle with pride. Well, you do. We all do. You know, we can get prideful in so many areas and, and you know, they're, they're just kind of this little thing that rhymes, you know, there's pride of, of grace and people get prideful of the church they go to and, you know, they, they, they get pride that, uh, that they're prideful because they, they haven't, you know, they're not into drugs and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, we call ourselves of the holiness tradition here. And I'll just tell you that there are a lot of prideful holiness people because they say, you know, we're holiness and we're the ones that have cracked the code on, on doctrinal purity and, so there's just a lot of pride of grace. There's, there's pride of place. There, there's pride of race. And I know here in this area, even though we would all say, no, we're not racist, we, uh, but, but probably there are a lot of people that if I would name a particular race, you would look down on them. You would think less of them. You would think that they're troublemakers. There's pride of race. It's a struggle for all of us. And so Paul... He was struggling with pride, but why? Well, let's go on to the next uh, phrase. It says, to keep me from becoming conceited because, here's the reason he was prideful or struggled with it, because of these surprisingly great revelations. Now, I don't totally understand that phrase, and, and those of you that do, maybe you can help me after church to understand this more fully, but, but, but this phrase refers back to the first verses of the chapter where Paul talks about having had some visions or revelations. Now, 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 for those of us, at least in our traditions, whenever we talk about having visions, revelations, we say, wait a minute, that weirds me out. That, that, you know what, I'm uneasy whenever you talk about that. And, and I was trying to figure out what was being said here. I went to four different commentaries to read about this, and they're all like me. They don't know, but... Some suggested that perhaps God gave Paul just a little glimpse into the glories of heaven. Again, we don't know this, but, but they're suggesting that, that maybe he had had just a little glimpse that nobody else had had, but whatever it was, it must have been incredible. It was amazing. So to keep from becoming conceited, because of these visions and revelations from the Lord, Paul says, there was given me. Now, let's make another stop. I realize we're going nowhere fast this morning, but 
Almost every word in this verse is just power-packed. This word given is super interesting in the original Greek language in which the New Testament was written. And, And this word that is translated given was the word most commonly used when talking about someone giving gifts, you know, good gifts, wonderful gifts, generous gifts. So if Paul, let's say that he were sitting around the Christmas tree with his family, opening gifts uh, gifts on Christmas morning, this is the Greek word that would have been used to describe the good gifts that were given, the generous gifts, the loving gifts. So the Apostle Paul, choosing his words carefully, says, in order to keep from becoming conceited or prideful, I was given a good gift, a wonderful gift, and what? kind of gift was he given? What was the gift? Well, let me just kind of warn you, as we read about that gift, it's going to come across as a contradiction, like like Paul used the wrong word. He he said, I was given a wonderful gift of a thorn in my flesh. So my thought was, wait a minute, Paul, you must have misspoken. You, You said you were given a wonderful gift of a thorn? That doesn't sound very wonderful to me. And, 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 and I don't want to be too Greeky here and, and, and throw a bunch of Greek words at you, but I like the way the Greek word for thorn sounds. It's scallops. But scallops is not just like a little thorn that we might get in our flesh. And for about two, two and a half weeks, I've had a little thorn in the second finger. Um, it actually came out Friday, and, and I chose not to dig it out because... It wasn't really that irritating. It just kind of felt funny right there. And uh, it, it would have probably caused more hurt to just dig it out. And then you'd have a little bit of a wound there. Um, so, so we think of a, a thorn as just being a little bit irritating, not a big deal. But a, a minor little irritating issue doesn't seem to be the meaning of this word scallops. Because here is how Paul describes how that thorn affected him. He was given this thorn in his flesh... It says, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Torment. This word torment helps us to understand how serious the thorn was. The, the, the original word for torment literally means to beat somebody up. If someone were going to describe what a, a bully did to a kid on the playground, this is the term they would use. It literally means to strike with a fist. You know, we would say here in Cedar County, beat the tar out of them. So Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a wonderful gift. Paul, what kind of wonderful gift were you given? Well, I was given a thorn where I was continually beaten up by a messenger of Satan. And this phrase, messenger of Satan, Uh, also is not real clear, but some commentators think that Paul was saying Satan did it and God used it for good. Other people think it's a a figure of speech. You know how sometimes we say, boy, that hurt like the devil. Uh, I I don't even know what that means. I guess it means it just hurt a lot. But we really don't know for sure what this phrase means, if it was a figure of speech or a theological statement. But Paul says, I was given a wonderful gift. Satan's messenger delivered this gift of a thorn in my flesh, and it just kept beating me up day after day after day. So even though we don't totally, or at least I don't totally understand everything in this verse, what I do know is that the Apostle Paul received a gift with a purpose. What was the gift? 
thorn, a thorn. What was the purpose? To keep him from becoming conceited. Now, one of the favorite discussions that people have is what the thorn might have been. What was it? The most common theory is that it was an eye problem. I mean, it does appear that Paul's eyesight was not good. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, you know, uh, he said to the Galatian people that if they could have, they would have torn their eyes out and given them to him. So commentators believe that possibly Paul had a, 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 an eye issue. Other people, it was a study in this, think his thorn was epilepsy. And so while he was speaking, uh, teaching, they suggest that he could have had these seizures and, you know, he would just kind of fall down and go out and wake up and be embarrassed. And, of course, back then they didn't understand epilepsy. And uh, they would have probably, back then, they would have attributed that to demon possession. Uh, some people suggest that it was depression. And if you read Paul's story, he had every reason to be depressed. And, and, and the more I read about great leaders, and, and this may surprise you because, you know, we as pastors... We're supposed to get up in front of you and, and, and inject hope and joy and, and be positive. But the more I read about great leaders that you would consider great leaders, you would be surprised how many of them struggle with depression. They would leave church Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, go home and isolate, struggle again until they had to get up in the pulpit the very next Sunday. Other people think that, uh, you know, Paul's problem could be severe and debilitating headaches. Uh, some people think because of the areas he traveled in, it could have been recurring malaria. And if you ever had malaria once, and, and of course back then they didn't have adequate medication, but um, it was recurring. You know, once in a while it just pop up again. And some even suggest that the thorn in the flesh might have been his mother-in-law, but he wasn't married. So we know that that wasn't it. So, so we don't know for sure. Uh, what it was but 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 again here's what we do know it was painful it was humiliating it was debilitating it was painful humiliating debilitating this is the guy that was called by God to spread the gospel throughout the Gentile world while he was in the center of God's will while he was obeying him he was faithful to God he developed something that was painful humiliating and debilitating well, the Apostle Paul, and I love this part, he tells us what he did when he realized that this wasn't going away, which is what we should do. In verse 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He prayed. Prayed three times. Now, this probably doesn't mean that he prayed for it Monday morning, then during his prayer as he blessed his food at noon, he prayed it again, and then one more time in the evening, and, and he was done. This more than likely indicates that there were three seasons in his life where the thorn became so unbearable that he dropped to his knees and said, God, I've reached a level of desperation that I cannot continue to do what you've called me to do. I can't stand up in front of these people. I can't write scripture. I can't go on fulfilling my duty. God, please do something. I'm desperate. Now, before we go on to verse 9, let me just say something to kind of set up this verse. Some people are told that the reason they're not healed of their sickness or the reason they can't get a better job or the reason that their depression won't go away is because they don't have enough faith. 
And I want to emphasize the Bible says that faith is a very necessary element to seeing answers to prayer. We need to have more faith. But when people always automatically say that the reason you aren't seeing answers to your prayers is because you don't have enough faith, I'm sorry, but their theology is off. Because I believe the Apostle Paul had more faith than all of us put together. I believe he was closer to God than anybody here. And this man of extraordinary faith, this, this man of extraordinary faithfulness pleaded with God three times to do something that probably would have allowed him to fulfill God's call in a more effective and a more powerful way. But what was God's answer? Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And, and so here's what this was saying, Paul. My answer to you is no. But, but my grace is sufficient. Or, or literally what this phrase is saying, my power reaches its full measure when you're weak. My power reaches its full potential when you're at your weakest. And what God communicated to the Apostle Paul is maybe that, that some of you need to hear today. God may be saying to you, um, I'm not going to remove this painful, humiliating, debilitating situation from you, but, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to give you my strength to help you press on. So remember we said that Paul's situation was what? Painful, humiliating, debilitating. Well, because of this last verse, Paul had a fourth thing to add. It was painful, humiliating, debilitating, and now it appears it will be permanent. His thorn was not just a little irritation. Again, it was painful, humiliating, debilitating, and permanent. Well, what Paul writes next is amazing. And if we would ask Paul, you know, since God said no, what are you going to do in the meantime? Are you going to resign from the ministry you know, you take some time off, take a sabbatical to kind of work through this whole situation. But here's what Paul says in the last part of verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. What does that mean? Well, before I, I, I talk about what this means, let me talk about what this does not mean. Paul was not saying that he was going to complain and talk about all of his aches and pains. That's not what he was saying, okay? We all know people that love to talk about their aches and pains. And, and the Bible does say, you know, we're to care for each other. We're to be interested in each other. But, but there are those that when you ask them how they are, they launch into a play-by-play -play of everything going on in their body. And, and, and sometimes, and you know, I'm, I'm horrible. You pray for me, okay? But, but it's like, okay, I heard that last week. I heard that same play-by-play -play last week. And then I heard it when you told the person that was standing next to me. And then I heard it again today. In, in, in fact, once in a while, I'm letting you in on a, on a secret, and this is horrible. Again, you pray for me, okay? But sometimes when, when there's that person that loves to just talk about their aches and pains, I will bypass the statement of how are you, and, and I'm giving away my secret. I'll just say, you look great today. You look great today. So if I tell you you look great today, maybe you ought to just think about that a minute. But, <laughs> but, but they still find a way to say, oh, but I don't feel great. So what does Paul mean when he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses? Well, this is so that. 
So that is a purpose statement. So that Christ's power, and if you have a different translation of the Bible, this word is also translated glory. So that Christ's power, Christ's glory may rest on me. Here's what Paul is saying. Since this painful, debilitating, humiliating, and permanent situation is not going to go away, and, and since this is a situation that more than likely people will associate with me and, and will cause them to say, I wonder why God hasn't healed Paul. I mean, he's a great man, a great servant. Um, I, I wonder why God allowed Paul to have that issue. Paul says, this is how I'm going to respond to this thorn that God has given me. I'm going to boast. I'm going to glory in it. And, and I don't want to be inappropriate this morning, but to use a phrase that we talk about with our dogs, you know, as Paul said, I will glory in it. He was basically saying this, I'm going to roll around in it. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to dodge it. Um, you know, as, as, as some say, you know, don't speak it because the devil can hear it. Don't speak it. Paul said, I'm not going to dodge it. I'm, I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist. If God has chosen this for me, then I'm going to own it. I'm going to embrace it because there's a purpose. Remember that purpose statement? So that, so that Christ's power, so that Christ's glory may rest on me. Here's another way that someone said it. Embracing your inability is a prerequisite to experiencing Christ's ability. Embracing your inability. In other words, Paul was saying, in order to experience the grace that God has promised through this circumstance, I have to embrace it. Embracing your inability is a prerequisite to experiencing Christ's ability. And, and here why, here's why that's important. Some of us, because of our pride, we try to hide those painful, debilitating, humiliating, permanent situations in our lives. You know, the depression, we don't want anybody to know about it. That's such a stigma that shouldn't be. We don't want anybody to know our dependency issues, our disorders, our fears. And, but let me just tell you, people know them. If, if, if they're in Cedar County, they, they know them anyway. But... Uh, you know what, we, we tend to just try to push it away from us. But what the Apostle Paul is, is saying, when I begin to see this thorn as a wonderful gift, when I begin to embrace it as from the Lord, then I found Christ's power working through me. He goes on and says in verse 10, that's why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. To which we would say, but Paul... To, to just resign yourself to that weakness is not the Christian way. You know, we shouldn't accept it. That comes from the devil. We should try to, quote unquote, faith God into doing something to remove it. To, to which Paul might say, that may be your way. But that may be also why you're not experiencing the grace and the power of God. Because you're still trying to fight the adversity and resist it for all your worth instead of embracing it. Which brings us to us. Let me give you an interesting, maybe a little bit uncomfortable idea. If you believe, which I believe most of you do, if you believe that God could change your circumstances, 
If you believe that God could somehow heal your body, if you believe that God could somehow heal your child or, or take away your depression, and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed that it would happen, but God has chosen not to, if that's the case, you have two options. Number one, you have the option to keep resisting it and fighting it and being frustrated through it. The second option is changing your whole attitude and accept and receive and embrace your thorn as a gift that comes with a purpose and a promise. The purpose may still be unknown, but the promise is my grace is sufficient for you. You know, the bottom line is that we all have to get to the place where that pastor got when he was down on his knees praying and he felt God told him, you can't continue to see them as the enemy. If you're going to get through this and have peace, you have to see this as coming through my permissive will. So whatever your thorn is, could I encourage you to pray, ask God to remove it, and make sure you've got enough faith as you pray? But if God says no, instead of continuing to fight and resist, how about accepting this gift with a purpose and a promise? And if this is contrary to the theology that you grew up with, you know, of just having a faith and God will answer your prayer, then I want to remind you that your Savior, my Savior, our Savior, the Savior of the world, faced a, a, a not-too-dissimilar situation in his own life. The gospel tells, us that, gospel tells us that at the end of Jesus' ministry, the night before he would be crucified, he was wrestling with his heavenly Father over what would become a very painful three days and three nights. Here's what Luke tells us. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Which means, Father, I realize you've placed into my hands a, a, a gift that is unlike any other. And this gift has a purpose that could potentially impact every human being that's ever born. And it comes with a promise that you'll sustain me through this. But, Father, if you're willing, please, please take this suffering from me. I know you're able. I have faith that you have the power to do this. But he said this. Yet... I want your will, not mine. So as we wrap things up today, I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is that we have permission to ask our Heavenly Father that our cup of suffering be taken and our thorn be removed. It's perfectly fine for you to pray that. That's the good news. You pray. You seek God. You ask Him to remove that thorn from you. But the not-so-great news is that sometimes when we pray to have our thorn removed, God will say, no. But I think every single one of us who calls Jesus our Lord, aren't we grateful that our Heavenly Father said no to His Son in the Garden of Gethsemane? Aren't you glad that God said, no, son, I'm not going to take away your cup of suffering. Because if I did that, that would mean that I would blow up the plan of salvation to where all of the people on earth would be destined to hell. So aren't you glad that God told his own son no?
And so what we learn from God in the Garden of Gethsemane and what we learn from the Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians is that sustaining grace that will give you the strength to put one foot in front of the other day after day after day begins with not my will, but your will be done. Just a quick story before we close. Faith and I uh, had a very dear friend that suffered so much due to health issues. In fact, I, I don't even know how she functioned at times. First of all, she had heart issues and her heart would get out of rhythm and cause her to feel horrible. You know, some of you have that arrhythmia and it just, it, it's like your body's not running on all cylinders. And in fact, uh, heart issues is what eventually took her life. This lady also had blood pressure issues. Um, plus she had a situation where she was allergic to all kinds of food and foods that you and I can eat and, and she would have to pretty much study out the ingredients of, of every type of food that she ate to make sure that it didn't have one of the many elements that could send her into shock and to the emergency room and when she went out to eat it was a special especially a challenge because she would ask okay does this have uh, you know this ingredient in this and and, and they would respond back, but sometimes there would be just a little bit of a trace, and just a trace was enough to send her into a coma. She also suffered with severe migraines. And, you know, I, I struggle with that, and I know some of you do too. In fact, somebody told me at the end of the service they, they have a headache every day of their lives. But whenever this, this lady would uh, go into a severe migraine, she would actually lose part of her vision. Just just lose it and couldn't see well she had rocky mountain spotted fever um it changed her life forever and those of you that have had that and i'm also a fellow sufferer of that it it, it tends to just recur and sap your strength and endurance she had a condition where her body would not absorb iron and i was talking with her daughter about that friday and it just made her anemic and, and weak and of course when you're when you're anemic you just don't have energy to do anything and so this, this lady struggled and she would have to go and get iron shots and I've never had any, but I've been told that they're not fun. They're, they're very painful. She had seasonal allergies and many of you do and just seasonal allergies alone can make you feel miserable. She had severe arthritis. And I know some of you do too, you know, it's in your joints, but um, this was in her spine and neck to where it hurt so badly at times to where she could barely move. And if, if anybody had an excuse to be cranky and crotchety and a complainer, it was this lady. That this lady had issues that we would call painful, debilitating, humiliating, and permanent. Seriously, I don't know how she was able to live a halfway normal life, but this lady was not normal. She was an average because she didn't just live a life of existence and mere survival. She didn't just settle. She came to the point to where she embraced the above thorns as part of God's plan for her life. And despite her many physical issues, she was bubbly, she was positive. She was loving, she was caring, she was kind, she was interested in everybody that she met. 
Let me tell you the name of this amazing lady that I still miss so much, our dear Bonnie Witt. You know, God's power was made strong in her weakness. You know, by seeing her Sunday morning at our welcome desk, receiving one of her many cards that you would have never guessed how much adversity she faced. But she had tapped into Christ's power that gave her strength despite her weaknesses. So, you know, we have some options after we pray and after we ask God to heal or fix this or do this or that. Should God happen to say no? You know, we can keep fighting, we can keep resisting and keep blaming it all on the devil. Or we can accept the gift of this thorn and in so doing receive grace that will cause us to be strong even in our weaknesses. So as we wrap things up this morning, here's what I'd I'd like for us to do because I know some of you have a thorn. I know many of you, you struggle with chronic pain. You you, you struggle with depression. You, You struggle with cancer. You struggle with health issues that... Could I just maybe encourage you to keep praying? But when God, if God says, no, I I don't think I'm going to remove it right now. Would you just say, okay, God, I'm going to glory in my weakness. I'm going to allow your power to make me strong. Because that's going to give me the strength to put one foot in front of the other day after day after day. This gift that you give me is a good gift, and I embrace it. Could I encourage you to do that? Let me me pray for you, and then we're out of here. Father, I know that there are men and women listening who could stand up and tell their story, and I know there are some people that, just like Bonnie, that would have said, yes, God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weakness. So, Father, I pray for those that are listening online. I pray that those that are listening on the radio, I pray that those that are listening here today in this building, Lord, for those that have a thorn. God, first of all, I want us to pray as Paul prayed, I believe, intensely for three seasons where he said, oh, God, I, I, I beg of you, do something. Lord, give me relief. And Lord, let us do that. We don't want to neglect that. We don't want to skip that step. So let us pray. Let us pray with faith and boldly believing. But God, should you come back and say, you know what? My my answer for right now is no. That we would begin to embrace that and, and say, okay, God, not my will, but yours. Just as your son on the cross, before he was going to descend into the depths of hell so that we wouldn't have to. He said, not my will, but yours. So God, I pray for those that are struggling with all of those issues. And Lord, that we would glory in it, glory in the power of Jesus. Lord, that we would not brag about our aches and pains. Lord, that we would be concerned about each other. We need to share those things one with another. But Father, that we would just be willing to receive that as from the very hands of God. And Lord, let us begin to see your power. Lord, as we submit to you, not our will, but your will be done. I pray that our weakness would find us 
powerful because of Jesus. Lord, that there would be strength given for those fighting all of these situations, relational issues and marriage issues and, Lord, emotional issues, financial issues. Would you make us strong even in our weakness? So, Father, I just pray that you would help us to be able to remember that this week. Lord, we leave here now in the name of Jesus, thanking you for the strength you're going to give us. We love you. We embrace you. Lord, through our inability, we accept your ability in us. We pray this in Jesus' precious, wonderful, holy, matchless name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for coming. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.